Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who always turn the other cheek when cleaning up tenants. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 395 for July 3rd, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about milling logs, oil and wax on hand tools causing finishing problems, when to use loose mortise and tenon joints, boards bowing off the sawmill, and panel raising planes. Uh, we want to mention that today's show is sponsored by Bruso Hardware. Now be sure to check out Bruso's Photo Extra newsletter. It's a weekly update from Bruso dedicated to customer submitted photos. Bruso's customers work on detailed projects including ring boxes, humidors, keepsakes, gun boxes, and furniture. It's an excellent source for inspiration on your next project. The newsletter is short, quick, has great photos, and is delivered right to your inbox. To sign up, visit bruso.com slash photo extra. That's all one word, bruso.com slash photo extra definitely want to sign up for that don't miss it and we'd also like to thank some folks who helped us out on patreon and i failed to get their names up before i did this so here let me click 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 okay jordan peckham brian lenhart greg franklin uh rob switzer chris Lindsay, richard murphy and andrew elkham thank you so much folks for helping us out and if you want to do that too we'll mention your name at the top of the show that's patreon.com slash wood talk and we've got a bunch of different ways you could help support the show but no matter what you do we certainly appreciate it and even if you don't you're not inclined to do the whole patreon thing we appreciate you listening and telling your friends about it that's what uh, helps spread the word and gets more earballs listening to the show so of course we appreciate any support in any way you want to give it to us all right let's get to what's on the bench it's been a long four days, and it has nothing to do with woodworking. So um, we went on a road trip all the way to Utah, Snowbird, Utah, for uh, Nerdtacular. And those of you who are sort of familiar with the podcasting community, you probably have heard of Frog Pants. It's very uh, video game and tech-based uh, podcasting network, basically, from uh, my buddy Scott Johnson. And uh, every time they do this Nerdtacular event, we, we go there, and we uh, nerd out for a few days. <laughs> So this was the first one we've done since moving to Colorado and first time we brought the kids. So it was an eight-hour drive that took about 11 and a half hours to actually get there. Uh, and it was it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. It was very difficult, though, you know, trying to do the social thing, like a, the stuff, the personal social thing, and have the kids around and have to go to bed at like 730 and all that stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, so we were the lame ones. Um, I, I caught a, a tweet, I think it was from Nicole. It's like, while everyone's having fun in Nertacular, we're in our room watching yep. the live stream. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> it's, they, like, it's almost like insult to injury. Look at all the fun they're having without you. Right downstairs. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing was we were able to, and we've done done this before on road trips uh we take the baby monitor with us because ava goes to bed about you know 7 38 and mateo not till like nine ish and uh so we set up the baby monitor and the hallway was really long and there was a nice little sitting area at the very end so we put the the monitor somewhere in the middle of the hallway which really helps transfer the sound like it, it, you could hear it from all the way down the the hall <laughs> 
So we plug in the baby monitor and then we just set up camp in this little lounge area, hung out there and uh, a couple people would gravitate and sit down with us and hang out. So we had our own little mini party there just so that we can hear Ava uh, through the the baby monitor, which was fantastic. So, uh, but either way, it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, the interesting thing was even at an event like this, I met several woodworkers who were fans of the Wood Whisperer and, you know, may have known me through frog pants stuff that I've done or that Nicole has done. Um, but they actually are followers of the Wood Whisperer, which is a little bit weird, but every year it seems to happen. We meet a few people. So got to talk a little bit of woodworking in addition to all the other stuff. Um, but man, we're exhausted that it takes a lot out of you. You think sitting in a car shouldn't be that bad, but you know, 10 hours, 11 and a half hours actually is what we did, uh, with the kids. We are all ready to just kind of not do anything. So I'm surprised I'm I'm able to do this. Look at it this way. 10, 11 hours of driving through the Rocky mountains to Utah is better than 10, 11 hours driving through Kansas. That's true. Or Arizona (laughs) for that matter. I mean, that's one of the things that was great about this. Every trip we've ever gone on as we pull into the driveway I usually, Nicole was laughing at me yesterday because it was the first time I wasn't able to say it, but I usually go, home, crap, home. <laughs> it just, you know, just because I never liked living where we lived. And this is the first time in a long time I was able to come home and be like, man, I'm actually not depressed about going home. <laughs> like, I like my house. I like- I'm not depressed about being here. <laughs> yeah, I like this place. I can't say home, crap, home anymore. So, um, but yeah, that was about it. So I really, again- chairs. I got to get back on them. And that's going to be my mission this week. Once I clear out the inbox, uh, as far as woodworking goes. So that's it for me. So Matt, what do you got going on? What's up? Yo, yo, yo. Oh, you know, just, just do whatever, just do my thing over here. You know, just, what do you know about that? You don't know nothing about that. Hi boy. That's how you should say it. For Hi. Hi boy. <laughs> boy. There you go. Hi wow. boy. I we got that out of the way. Wow. <laughs> he said it was going to be Shannon, a good show. Why didn't, you didn't get in on that. What, what's wrong with you? Come on. I thought we were like, he's not, he's not hip because, because I know how white I am. <laughs> <laughs> what? Don't make this about race, man. Come on. That makes it even better though. Well, he is the oldest okay. one in the group. So yeah, somebody's got to keep this train on the rails. He's he's not down with us. Young fellas, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> somebody's got to yell, get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> You old folk, come on, uh, ogies. Yeah. Oh, dang. All right, I guess we can talk about woodworking in a normal, not exciting voice. Yes, let's. Let's. So yeah, I started on the high boy for real this week. I got going on the cabriole legs. And it's my first time doing those. And I have to say, like, I haven't had that, like, I don't know if you guys get this, but if you're doing something you haven't done before, and you're getting out there to do it, even though you know the process, you've read about it, you've seen the whatever about it, you get out there, you're like, every single step you question, you're like, am I about to screw this up? Is this exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now? It's It's been a while since I've had that feeling, mm-hmm. and it's just weird, because I'm like, this is taking me forever, because most of the time I'm sitting here, like, second-guessing myself, as if there's, like, that much complexity here. Right. It's just the most ridiculous thing ever. But... Yeah. It's got to be know. good though, I'm right? There. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the traps we fall into. I know I certainly do. <clears throat> and that's, uh, we get in our comfort zones and we're teaching all the time. So we tend to, to gravitate toward those things that we know well so that we can do it and make it look good. The fact that you are feeling uncomfortable is probably a good thing because it means you're, you're treading into a new area <laughs> that you haven't, you know, challenged yourself with in a while. So it's also the fact that I'm like, I didn't cut an extra one either. There you go. Yeah. So I have like I have my four, and that's the four <laughs> yeah. I have. Stakes are a little you higher. Know, I'm not, I didn't do. 
I didn't do a practice one, and like I the, the time frame with this build is gonna be pretty quick too, so I don't have time to screw that stuff up either. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, we'll just take a little bit extra time just to make sure things are looking good. And then you're like, then you get the, the extra. That's why you always start with the back leg. Yeah, you start with oh, those I did. back Don't legs. Worry. I have I have two back <laughs> legs, and they're in the back. Yes. <laughs> those are the first ones. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Yeah, especially with that thing too, because so you're like cutting like. Yeah, you're cutting that profile on both faces. That's as far as I've gotten at this point. Is just cutting the profile. But even that, I'm like, okay, let's make sure that I cut the first one right the first time, and then I put it back and cut the second one. Then I was cutting some relief cuts. I'm like, make sure I cut it on the right face because I've cut them on the wrong face. Then they're like these big old gouges in my keep area. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, there's that. I guess, but it's been fun. It's been good to be out there in the shop, uh, doing some actual woodworking again, and it's been fun. Cool. Cool. Sounds like good. It. Shannon, what about you? Well, since uh, Bruso is sponsoring today's show, I have an interesting issue. I am, I was saying before we recorded, if I don't get the finish on my blanket chest this this 4th of July weekend, I will have failed as a human. <laughs> but I am I am literally almost there. I just was uh, installed the hinges on the lid last night, put the drawer pulls on, and I was doing the lid stay, you know, that keeps the lid from swinging all the way back. And it was this was a first for me. You know how um, obviously if you if you cut a recess with uh, cut a mortise with a router, you end up with rounded mortises. And it's well, do you round the tenons? Uh, what, what do you what do you do with that? <clears throat> this was the first time when I installed a piece of hardware and I chopped out the mortise, and the hardware itself was round. Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it just occurred to me, Bruso is truly a modern company that they don't expect some idiot like me to have a lidge hinge stay. I'm showing it for the camera that is round in cross section. Right. <laughs> so I didn't even think about it because they have a schematic, you know, that comes with it. It shows, you know, what the links are and, you know, where to position the mortise. So I laid it out, you know, and, and that the hardware is right there. I just wasn't even thinking about it at the time, <laughs> chopped out a square mortise and sure it will fit. It looks fine. You know, no, it, it doesn't look fine. That's the problem because there's these square mortises. <laughs> so it's just nice. one of those weird kind of things. So, so used, so used we are, says Yoda, to um, mm-hmm. having to shape the wood to match, you know, and, and, and square off the corners and things like that. And this was the, just the opposite. Here's a company that recognizes that most people are going to use a router to create this recess. Yeah. So let's make our hardware round. So I suppose... That's a good thing for Bruso, unless you're a hand tool guy. It's the curse um, of the I hand tool guy, man. I could have done it if I drilled it out, but I chopped yeah. it out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, should I just, like, use epoxy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fill those gaps, or do I go ahead and, like, stick in a, a piece and then, like, rebore it out? I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do yet. Um, it's really tiny. That's the thing. It's little corners that are showing up, which is, has me tempted to just use, like, a filler or something like that mm-hmm. instead of putting a new block of wood in. But get some get anyway. some brass dust and put that in some epoxy and then <laughs> yeah, you won't even go. know. Yeah. Perfect. So that solution. was a first. That was definitely a first. And that has like anything, when you get down to those last little details and it's like, oh yeah, it's solid hinge, just knock that stuff out. This stuff takes forever. These little tiny details. This yeah. so fixing this is going to set me back probably an hour or two, which is keeping me further away from finishing and you know barbecue grill and blowing stuff up as a calling to me tomorrow. So (laughs) if I have the finish started, I'll have no problem like excusing myself for, you know, 
30 minutes to come down and apply another coat and then come back up. But if I haven't started the finish by tomorrow, there's probably not a good chance that it will happen. So, yeah. Gotcha. Do it right after this, man. No excuses. Just don't blow it up tomorrow. All right. Don't take, just don't take your blanket chest out there and blow (laughs) it up. Because you got so upset. I'll fix you good. (laughs) Don't, don't fall into that. You have to finish a project this year. Awesome. All right. Uh, we got some cool things for what's new and you've probably heard about this. Most people have the, um, parent company of Festool TTS tool technic systems buys SawStop, And this kind of is one of those things where, man, do, do people love to speculate or what? Oh yeah. Right. Like this is the, this is what like every forum is talking about right now. And not one of them has any actual information or knowledge about what's going to happen. Um, but I think things that further confused it were the clickbaity sort of headlines, like fine woodworking put out where Festool buys SawStop. Not quite the same thing. You know, the parent company bought SawStop and they're perfectly likely to operate these two like separate brands and keep them as separate brands. It doesn't mean that suddenly saw stops are going to turn green or your saw stops going to come in a sustainer. <laughs> I mean, it's like, there you go. <laughs> wouldn't that be something? It's oh, oh, a big man. sustainer. You could use it that'd as a pool awesome. afterwards. I think that'd be great. A giant, yeah. a giant fish tank, but uh, you yeah. could frost it and pop out of it. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be a nice birthday gift for Nicole. Um, so what if I popped out of it? No, no. Yes, actually. Yes. I think she loved that. That's crossing a line. (laughs) It is a little bit. Um, So Kyle actually wrote in uh, with a question about this. He says, with the uh, purchase of SawStop and the Bosch lawsuit seemingly over, do you see a scenario in which other tool manufacturers will be able to license the SawStop technology for a fee? Of course, I think about how some laundry detergent says, now with the power of OxyClean on the box, I just wonder if we'll start seeing, for example, Jet Powermatic pay a licensing fee to SawStop so that they slap sweet now with saw stop technology stickers on their saws just a thought thanks so i think if you're going to go down the speculation path you know if you say isn't this just speculating more it really is mm-hmm. and i don't want to i don't want to are, you, add to are it. you are you dragging us into the speculation game i feel like i am yes actually <laughs> uh i think who was it kyle is doing it so uh, well you read it don't put the blame on me i'm blaming you you read the thing what i'm gonna what i think we should do is not speculate in terms of what will happen. I think what'll be what'll be more interesting because we don't know anything because none of us know anything and none of them know anything. What would you want to happen out of this? So you've got a, a two companies who, frankly, I think they are really good bedfellows in a way, right? They're both companies mm-hmm. that have a very specific brand uh, that have penetrated the market in a very specific way, and they are not cheap. They're you know they come at a premium, so. You know, I think they actually are a good, a good company to be under that same umbrella. So, what would you want to have happen with this? And I think Kyle, where he's going here, that is probably what I would want. the The licensing deals that were not made in the past, perhaps a company like Festool has the ability, or I don't know what it would take to make this happen, and where where the resistance still lies. But maybe being under this new company, maybe there's a, a initiative to make that happen. You know, so that I guess that's the question is, will this technology, or are they just buying it to simply operate SawStop and, and have that as a feather in their cap and continue moving forward? Or do you, do you hope for some more integrations and expansion of what they do with that, uh, with that technology? Either hmm. one of you. You know, it, I hate to say it, but I feel like they're just buying it so that they can own and operate it because they see it as a profitable 
profitable product. I would be actually surprised if I see cross pollination. Like if we see flesh detecting track saws, um, right. I, I would actually be really surprised because I feel like because it's the, um, the operating company, it's not festival buying them. Mm -hmm. It's the operating company. It's kind of like, eh, it's just another, um, horse in our stable, if you will. It's an IP acquisition in a way, you know, yeah, they, they rather than, than them crossing lines or anything like that. I think it'll probably be business as usual. Um, kind of like we've seen with DeWalt and Porter Cable and all the companies that roll up under Black & Decker now. Mm -hmm. They're pretty much the same. Um, they're just part of Black & Decker. Right. You think anything different than that, Matt? I think as a consumer, I'd like to see it offered in more of a competitive space like that where you could have it licensed out and then you can kind of pick and choose your table saw and features from that. But from a business perspective on their side, I don't see them licensing it at all, especially since... I don't have any actual numbers behind this, but I feel like SawStop is doing really well as like a, as far as selling table saws. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're selling a lot of units. So I don't see a reason for them to license it if they're actually in a position to, I don't want to say like take over the whole table saw market, but take a pretty big share of it anyway. Well, they, yeah, they certainly themselves. have already done that. Yeah. So, I mean, they can just continue doing that. But then again, it might be more profitable on a per unit basis to license it too. Who knows? I don't, it's all, you know, back to speculation again. I don't have their yeah. numbers. Right, exactly. Know, but at, at the same time, Festool holds a very specific spot within like the contractor space. All their tools are meant to be mobile, you know, take it to the job site. This now offers a stationary, although they do, don't they have a benchtop model now? Not benchtop, but like a mobile. A portable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a portable uh, saw stop. But the cabinet saws, the, the, the contractor saws and things kind of occupy that back in the shop thing. Mm -hmm. So that's another offering to their current contractor demographic um, that they don't really have. And I guess you figure rather than build one ourselves, let's just go out and buy, you know, the number one in the market or pretty yeah. close to the number one in the market. That's yeah. true, too, because they can get into stationary tools then, too. I know, like, I don't know, Sawstop, like, mentioned that maybe they want to do other tools with flush sensing technology on them. You know, regardless if they want to release those or not, but you don't know if maybe they're working on that. And that's kind of more what they're after as well, the bigger um, product line that could, that could be potentially there, either with or without flush sensing technology. They already, have, they already have the manufacturing pathways there if they wanted to do bandsaws or jointers or planers or whatever. Yeah, they've got the, that the, kind the of realm. in a sense, though, but when you look at a company like, you know, Festool or um, uh, TTS, they are mostly portable, smaller tools. They, you know, they don't have a whole line of larger stationary power tools. So I feel like it's really unlikely that this, you know, parent company takes SawStop in so that they can make bandsaws and jointers with some kind of flesh sensing technology because they don't already make those things. You know, so yeah. I, I feel like if anything, what we're going to see here is nothing <laughs> like yeah. that. That's my guess. We're not going to see anything. It's just that it's a successful brand. Why would they do anything major to change it if, you know, it's already doing so well and this is such a valuable property to have in the first place? Um, I think it's just the feather in the cap sort of thing. But again, speculation. It's oh fun. boy. We should like <laughs> probably like put a calendar event in for like two or three years from now. Yeah. And then come back and see what happens. See, yeah. Yeah. See if when any of this actually came true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think people are kind of in an uproar about it, but it's like, you know what? They're, they're so similar in terms of, 
you know, what they offer, the kind of IPs that they have and the value in that stuff. I think there are, it's, it's probably a good matching. It's a good match. And I, but I don't think we're going to see much change. Just my opinion. Okay. So that's, uh, that's that. And, uh, I guess you got the next one here, Matt. Oh, cool. I have to look at this then. This is from Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of guys who listen to the show do a lot more than make furniture. Here's a video. Why is my name in the middle of the word video? Video matter. Whatever. Here's a video video on screws that has some interesting nerdish info in it. And there's a link here, and I haven't opened it yet. But there's a video about screws. Wow. Wow. See what happens when I try to assign equal amount of work to, you know, I saw that Matt didn't have anything in the what's new section. So I figured, you know what? Let's give him something. Oh, I have seen this video. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, nice cover. I like this guy. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for the uh, retroactive endorsement. I do enjoy his channel. It's growing very quickly. We talked about his video. I mentioned his video, the sawmill story, like, I don't know, two or three months ago. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that's an endorsement of his channel from me. Right. You're welcome. Right. (laughs) Good. Well, on a sad note, Lee Marshall, you guys may know Lee Marshall. He is the guy behind New Concepts. Fret saws, coping saws. Mm-hmm. Lee passed away this week due to a battle with cancer. So that's really sad. Um, I Certainly, this is news. Um, you know, if you go to New Concepts, to their homepage, there is a, a little bit of a memorial about Lee. But I wanted to bring it up because I, I met Lee at Woodworking America. I don't know what year it was. Maybe it was 2011. But I didn't know who it was at the time. Um, and and the new concepts, I think, was still relatively new to the scene that he probably could have said, hi, I'm Lee Marshall, and that would have meant nothing to me. But I had one of the most down-to-earth, just cool conversations I've ever had at Woodworking in America, just sitting at a table, like, in the back of the, the, the marketplace, there was, like, a tables there where you could eat. They had, like, a snack bar or whatever. And I was just sitting down, and we talked about, like – global economics in the middle of a woodworking event. I don't even remember what started the conversation. And it was like 20 minutes into it. It was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm Shannon Rogers. Oh, I'm Lee Marshall. Oh, what brings you here? Well, we've got this saw. Oh, I know your saw. And before I knew it, <laughs> Lee was putting one of his saws in my hands to to try out and play with. And to this day, I still have the saw that Lee gave me. It's one of the original prototypes of that saw. Nice. And it was just it was just a really cool moment. We're at a woodworking conference talking about everything but woodworking. And it was just kind of this secondary thing that, oh, yeah, I make saws. And it turned out to be a saw that I was really interested in trying out. He was just a really cool dude. And it's a it's a big loss. So um, you will be missed, Lee. Yeah, for sure. I actually never met the guy, but I do have one of his amazing saws on the wall. And it's uh, very special to me. If you've never seen them, by the way, uh, look them up, uh, New Concepts. They just make amazing saws. Uh, the engineering behind it, it's probably, I think some would say, over-engineered to an extent for what it is, but they are gorgeous. So if you really just like well-thought-out, high-end, you know, good-quality tools, you're probably going to want to check that out. So, yes, sir. All righty. Let's get into uh, – oh, no, I got one more thing here. Um, so – this morning popped into my feed on my, my podcast app. Uh, I listened to a audio podcast called stuff you should know. I think a lot of you probably also listen to that and they are doing like repeat shows for the weekends um, from past shows. And this one was about why the U S isn't on the metric system. 
So this does come it up. Sucks. <laughs> because it sucks. It's stupid. <laughs> uh, it's it's really interesting. It's not from a you know builder's perspective uh, per se, but it does give a, a very interesting background on the history of the the systems that we use and why the U.S. is where they are, and actually shows just how much the U.S. does use the me- the metric system. And you may not even realize it. It's just there are certain things that you know it has it hasn't been something that's been forced upon us, but there have been uh, laws in the past that make it perfectly viable to run a business and use the metric system in the United States. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's actually just optional. So they choose not to, or they do both. So anyway, I thought it was interesting for folks who always talk about this metric versus, you know, the U S system. Um, it's not Imperial technically, right? It's uh, what the heck is the name for it? You know what I'm talking about, but look it up. God's uh, God system of measurement. I call it Imperial. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Technically it's called something else. you like, United States something. I don't know. You people look it up. You'll find it. Uh, but definitely good oh. podcast. Take a listen. We'll hear about it. You will. You can't You can't mention something like this without somebody saying something about next, it. Next week's kickback. Something. Here it comes. <laughs> okay. So speaking of kickback, we've got three e, uh, voicemail kickbacks here. And uh, this could. Ver- this is definitely a contender for my favorite voicemail that we've ever had. <laughs> hey, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Nice to talk to you guys. Um, before I get to my question, I just want to talk about professionalism. Uh, you guys have been doing this podcast for quite a few years now. And just last week or the week before with Mark's air compressor going off and Shannon's, uh, terrible connection with the Skype, it's just, we, we expect more from you guys. So let's friendly advice. Let's get with it. You know, uh, Anyway, on to my question uh, from, from Mark. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Wait. Wait. All right. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry about that. <sighs> anyway, um, my question for... How did... <laughs> when... <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, great uh, alright oh. <laughs> thanks guys I, I really appreciate it alright take care alright I think that was pretty funny let me just turn off this voice recording and hopefully those two hairy guys and that albino gorilla find it funny so gorilla. maybe Albino gorilla might be the best thing to even come out of that that voicemail. As good as that was, it's <laughs> oh, got the hairy giggler, the albino gorilla, and I'm still waiting for mine. So I, I shouldn't invite that, but I, I'd like to know what what my new nickname is going to be. <laughs> still waiting for mine. Oh, Somebody man. roast me quick, Kevin. Fantastic man. That that goes in like the voicemail hall of fame. That was great. Yeah. Any voicemails with props, it's important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, especially when they work. Think about how many yeah. times people have tried to do things that are like audio focused and somehow the Skype thing. Well, you know what the difference is? We're not using Skype for these. It's voice memos, which is yep. going to be much better audio quality. So there you go. There's another reason to use the, the voice memo apps. Okay. All right. <laughs> Next one here is from Mike and uh, he is definitively stating that Shannon is wrong. <laughs> nice. Shannon, Shannon, Shannon. On the last episode, you stated that Douglas fir is not pine. I object. And so did James Cronoff, who referred to Douglas fir as Oregon pine. 
The taxonomy of duck fur has long been debated, and it currently occupies its own genus, but is part of the broader pine family. Love the show, but Mr. Lumber Industry Guy needs to get his facts straight. This is Mike from Chicago. <laughs> Don't you love that? Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything to that. That's fine. The fact that if you want to go up to family, there's a lot of stuff that's in the pine family. Just kind of like how we say, uh, what did what did the uh, caller say earlier? Now with the power of OxyClean? Yeah. Now with the power of pine or now with the power of mahogany. It's like, yeah, just because it's in the Melissae family doesn't mean it's mahogany, people. And just because it's in the the uh, Pinaceae family doesn't mean it's pine. So, See, yeah. You know, what, you know what I love about you? Is that you can rattle off all these Latin names for all these genus, species, and families, but you don't know what the damn, like, hand plane numbers are. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he's got his priorities straight. That's, that's it. That's called having to build an entire website for a lumber company. You, <laughs> but you've written out these this botanical names enough. You tend to, to then know them. Also, not but to no. mention, I think most of our audience, like when Shannon does these Latin terms, they're not going to check it and they don't know the difference. So he, he could <laughs> be just making That's crap true. up. I could just be making that up. Yeah. It's, it's just safe for bet. <laughs> but Mike, your point is well taken. At least you didn't go all the way up to the phylum or the order or the kingdom and say it's all in the same kingdom. Shannon, but they're yeah, all so trees. So they're all, they're just, all plants. Just stop. They're all trees. So yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Okay. We got one more kickback here from Jared. Hey guys, this is Jared. Um, I just had a quick comment. I thought it was a funny coincidence that just on the other show that Shannon mentioned the Winterthur Museum. Um, it's actually funny. My brother-in-law is actually the arborist there, which is a funny coincidence. But um, Shannon, I just wanted to let you know that if you ever need any free tickets or tours or admission to the museum, um, please don't hesitate. To get to know somebody that works there, it's awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> get some freebies, Shannon. That was awesome. That was so great. <laughs> Don't hesitate to get get to know somebody who can uh, get you some free tickets. That was so well done, Jerry. Uh, good voicemail kickback this week. Right? I know. Seriously. We're on point. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So let's move on. Um, we've got one here from John Paul. He says, I'm wondering when the box stores will get in trouble for selling S4S that still has live edge. I just had to sort through two layers of four by fours to find a single piece that I could use for fencing. Uh, I don't know. I, there's just hundreds of things we should be going after these companies for. I mean, let's make them suffer for their insolence. Yeah. yeah. Make them pay. <laughs> make them pay. They have deep pockets. Screw them. All right. All right. We've got a long one here, but hang on. It's good. This is from Rob. That's he says, I've been a fan of your show for a while now, so I'm happy that I have the opportunity to now return the favor of information. In one of your latest shows, Ashley asked, what's the deal with upholstery? As it turns out, my wife and I own a small custom furniture company that specializes in upholstered pieces. I think a lot of the mystery of upholstery is due to its dynamic nature. Due to the fact that wood is flexible and has small changes over time due to age and humidity, it's still a very static material when compared with fabric and foam, which deforms at every touch. Much like woodworking um, – whoa, sorry. <laughs> I just – this little magic mouse thing and my screen just went all funky. Woodworking. Um, much like woodworking, the difference between something passable and something well done is in the details. 
It doesn't take much time, much skill to put together a box with simple butt or rabbit joints, but dovetail corners with no gaps take a lot of practice. Upholstering a seat could be as simple as stretching fabric over uh, corners and how the fabric stretches. Oh, excuse me. I did it again. Wow. <laughs> this is hard to read. <laughs> hey, um, pulling a mat. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's stretching fabric over some foam and putting in a bunch of staples. Bringing to the next level requires attention to the details, like how things get folded around corners or how the fabric stretches around a curve profile or layering several types of foam or filler to achieve a balance between the support and comfort. It's really more of an art dependent upon skill and experience than a science dependent upon trade secrets. Having seen the incredible stuff that our upholsters have made has really opened my eyes to the details in upholstery. Now I can't help but notice all the mushy corners and inconvenient seams in mass-produced furniture. That sounds familiar. I think the reason it's hard to find much information about upholstery is because it's a difficult skill to teach without personal interaction. Another interesting detail about upholstered furniture is the difference in how frames are constructed. Carpenters will use more of an approach of a sculptor than an engineer. Bits and pieces are glued on and then cut back to achieve the necessary profile to support the layers of upholstery. They also have to consider where the upholstery will be attached and account for the varying thicknesses of the cover material. The results can sometimes look more like a kid's popsicle stick project than a piece of furniture. This process is also a product of years of experience and an understanding of how the frame will interact with upholstery. I've learned enough about upholstery in the last year that if I were to, if I were trying to upholster the seat for a beautiful chair, I've spent a lot of time crafting. I would probably just outsource it to a professional. <laughs> but if it interests you enough, try to find someone to teach you and expect to put in a lot of practice. So there we go. Okay. Straight from the horse's mouth, people. Upholstery. If you want to upholster stuff, hire him. <laughs> no, hire, him, hire someone, someone else, else, apparently. <laughs> well, and he'll sub it out. <laughs> He says he runs a company, so yeah, maybe that's kind of a self-serving comment. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Suspicious. Mm. All right. Moving on. <laughs> this next one is from Matt. He says, in response to measuring once, cutting twice, or six times, or 20 times, who cares? <laughs> when you look at a finished piece of work, do you ever ask yourself, I wonder if they got all their cuts right the first time? <laughs> Generally, no. You just admire what the finished product looks like. Much like when you're applying for a job, hirers want to know if you have the degree and care far less about where it's from. Mm. What it ultimately comes down to is, did you get the job done? Enjoy your show immensely. Three out of two of you make it great. Oh, wait. That's a measuring thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a good joke. Uh, anybody want to reflect this kickback? Kickback the kickback, if you will. I kind of do. I'm thinking you so, do. Can I? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I'm just you know trying to to you know pre segue myself into this. Um, oh boy! I, not, not not you know it's fine. It's fine. I agree. And a lot of things you know we debate this stuff. And who cares? But I think this is a technique issue and a technique question. If you're cutting six times versus cutting once, that's a big time investment. So you have to justify why in the world are we telling people to cut six times instead of once? So I think we care. This is an important thing. If you're teaching someone how to do woodworking, they are very different strategies for for getting to that end result. So I do think this is one of those things that I think is worth uh, spending time talking about. I agree. It doesn't make a difference in the end result, but if it makes a difference in how long it takes you to do it or the amount of gaps you have in that end result, then it is worth talking about. You know, there are many other things that I would totally say who cares about, Um, but this is, this is not one of them for me. 
measure well once said. and cut once. That's CNC yes. to me. Yeah, the, you want to go? You want to measure once and cut once? Buy a CNC. You'll be good to go. <laughs> okay, you know what's next? One of my favorite segments. Shannon, I paid for this so that you wouldn't have to do it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Industry update. All right. (laughs) Shannon, what's going on in the world of lumber? Oh, man. Uh, Good show. Um, So today we're going to talk about um, botanical taxonomies and what it means when we say family versus genus and species. No, we already did that. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Too late. This this is from somebody. It used to say who it was from, but now we don't know what it is. So we're going to say it's from Steve. I'll tell you what. Inver- Our good invariably, Steve. you you remove the name out of your emails. That's a invariably. trend I've noticed. Invariably. Um, so, what's the deal with teak? What's the deal with teak? I've heard you can't get, quote, real teak anymore due to its being endangered. But obviously, I still see teak furniture being sold. So what are they using? What species should I look at if I'm looking to build an outdoor dining table and chairs? So what is the deal with teak? Um, The deal with teak is it's very, very, very expensive. Um, Comes from a very long way away, but you can still absolutely get it. Real teak or genuine teak comes from Burma, or it's called Myanmar now. It's called Burma when the British um, ruled it. Um, Myanmar, that's where the good stuff comes from. Due to the soil chemistry and everything, that's where you get that lovely silicone-rich teak that has the nice honey brown color. It's a little streaky when it's first milled, but it mellows to a beautiful honey brown stuff. Um, Because there was an economic embargo against Myanmar for many, many, many years, you technically could not get teak directly from Myanmar. But you could get it from a sawmill in Indonesia who got it from Myanmar. So we were still bringing the genuine stuff in, and we still are now. The economic embargo was lifted, but you have to have a specific license to import the material, which is um, not something that's... Super, super easy to get. I mean, technically, all you have to do is become a member of the International Wood Products Association and you have access to the license, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that. So what it means is the genuine teak is really only being brought into the the country from pretty legitimate companies that have a lot of history and a lot of experience in doing import and have specific relationships with Myanmar sawmills. But all that makes it even more expensive. Um, so the genuine teak is ending up on, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous, um, boats and very expensive yachts and very expensive homes and things. A lot of the furniture that's being built today may still being uh, may still be made using genuine teak, Tectona grandis. That's the the genus and species. But it's grown in a plantation in India or Indonesia, somewhere in Africa. Um, If it says African teak, it's probably kumaru and not teak. Um, But there's a lot of plantations that have cropped up, just like there are a lot of mahogany plantations. Here is a valuable species. Where else can we grow it? You know, because it's it's Burma's a long, long way away. So if we can get it somewhere closer to market, we can make some more money on it. The problem is, is particular working properties of a tree are incredibly specific to the soil chemistry where that tree grew. So the reason that genuine teak in, in Myanmar is 
so good at what it does is because of the specific soil chemistry and the amount of rainfall in that tiny little country. When you move teak to India, for example, especially like northern India, where a lot of the stuff is coming from, it doesn't have nearly the silicone content. And because of that, the extractives and the minerals and things are very different. So a lot of times it's a lot streakier and spottier. So if you're looking at furniture and it's got what most of us would think is, oh, look at that cool character and figure, that's probably a plantation species. The genuine stuff is a lot more um, consistent in color, a lot less streaks. Um, so you're still getting it, but from where are you getting it is the real question. I would say probably more than half of the teak being sold, not for the boat building industry is probably a plantation variety. And that's fine. Um, the, the waterproof nature of teak is great for boats. There's really very few other applications and home building things that you need that amount of waterproofing and exterior rating in your teak. So plantation stuff or using an alternate species like aphromosia might be better off. It'll certainly save you a little bit of money. So there you go. It's still there. You can still get it. It's still the real stuff unless it came from a plantation. Then it's not the real stuff. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia that kind of wraps around to a previous topic. Did you know that Myanmar is one of three countries that have not adapted the metric system as their official system of weights and measures. I did know that, actually. Isn't that (laughs) kind of crazy? Uh, It does say that they, in 2013, um, announced that they were preparing to adopt the system, but I don't know what the current status of that is. That's a a while ago. You think things might be in motion by now. Current status of anything in Myanmar is up in the air. Um, yeah. it's, there's a lot of upheaval going on there. It's a total military regime that turned democracy overnight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of infrastructure that doesn't exist. Um, my buyer just got back from Myanmar about a week ago. And she's just like, every time we go, it's like, who knows? <laughs> who knows what the rules are going to be this time? There's yeah, a, uh, a good episode of Parts Unknown with um, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, that covers mm-hmm. that. You might want to check it out. It's pretty good. Okay. So we got some voicemail. We're going to have to hustle here, guys. We've got uh, four voicemails, three, three, and then our email. So let's do it. This one's from Steven. Hey guys, this is Steven from South Carolina. Long time listener, first time voice memo, I guess. Uh, this question is uh, kind of in relation to someone's brought up in episode 391 regarding um, tool storage and, and tool use in uh, high humidity areas. Something that has been brought up recently uh, by myself and others on the free side of the forum was the use of wax or oil on uh, plain soles, and if any of that could be possibly transferred to a uh, finished workpiece or almost finished workpiece prior to the use of stain, varnish, etc., and uh, if that might cause fish eyes. I know that's been brought up uh, several times in the past regarding some other things, wax and such. But uh, if I could get some clarification, uh, is this something that we need to be you know, mindful of as people that use hand tools? Uh, you know, Try to take the wax off or uh, try to take the oil off prior to our last passes, passes before finishing? Or is it something that's so negligible... Uh, it has no real bearing on the end piece. Uh, so I'd like to get uh, some input from, you know, three professionals or uh, at least two professionals and a Harry Giggler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, love everything nice. that you guys do. Uh, keep up the good work. Have a good one. 
I love how almost every voicemail somehow takes a shot at one of us. Like that, <laughs> that's the theme we've established. Like we're the punching uh, bags. That is the audience we've collected. I love well, it. The important thing in this consideration is anytime you apply the wax on, you have to take the wax off. But oh boy. All right, you got to be watching the video. Wax off. Wax off. Okay, so Shannon, uh, for for the sake of expedience, why don't you take this one? <clears throat> no, it does not matter. Okay. I've been waxing my plain soles for years, never had a finishing problem. You're not applying huge amounts of wax here. Um, mm-hmm. And for the most part, when we're waxing our plain soles, we're using like a dry wax, like a paraffin. Um, I guess you could be using paste wax. That just seems like a waste. Um, occasionally, I've used Renaissance wax, which is um, is specifically formulated not to interfere with finish. But I'm only using that as like a rust preventative. I'm not using it as a lubricant. So like a dry paraffin or beeswax, it's just so little that goes onto the surface. Never had a problem. Okay. Never once. Neither have I. When I, I finish. I use, <laughs> I use uh, Renaissance wax, uh, and I've never seen an issue with it. Uh, all right, so Adam has a question about milling logs. Hey, Mark, Shannon, Matt. Uh, this is Adam from Seattle. Uh, I'll try to keep this as short as I can. I know how you love long questions. Uh, but this question is for Matt and Shannon. Uh, Mark is free to put in his two cents. Uh, I allow it this time. Uh, my question is about milling logs. Uh, I don't have a, uh, bandsaw mill or a chainsaw or anything like that. And I don't have a whole lot of space. So the logs I'm looking at are maybe, uh, two to four feet, feet in length and, uh, big enough to fit in a back of an SUV uh, but uh, not so small that I could do it on my 17-inch bandsaw. So kind of looking still at bigger logs, but something that I can wrangle myself. So my, my, uh, the Shannon part of the question is, I, I'm, I'm looking at doing this with hand tools, either some type of saw or a fro and some wedges, or I don't know, I'm, I'm looking for... The, the, the best way to do it. Uh, the, the mat end of the question is, what do you think would be the best way to dry something that would be that small? Is, is there any other concerns that you'd have to watch out for, for it being a smaller log, or would you still, uh, stack and dry it the same way? Uh, let me know what you guys think. Uh, thanks for the podcast and it helps, helps with my, uh, long Seattle commute. So, uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. Okay. Go for it. Is Shannon muted? Sorry, yeah. I was muted. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, is he joking or is this actually happening? <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't tell if that was a real thing. <laughs> yeah, I see his lips moving, but I don't hear nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. Try again, um, Shannon. Because he's cursing when they listen to the question. Yeah, no, it's because I was eating a cracker. Um, oh. The uh, the milling by by hand that is a heck of a lot of work. Um, you are going to definitely need to get a saw that's either dedicated to that, like a pit saw type big beast with really aggressive teeth. I would really recommend splitting um, a, a maul, some wedges. Heck, you could even make gluts out of wood, wooden wedges. Um, I wouldn't really use a flow, a fro, a flow, a fro at this early stage when it comes to actually splitting a log. That generally, when you get into smaller sex, sections and wedges, but when you start splitting, you can often end up with a lot of waste because you just don't know how that log is going to split. 
So, you know, it's, it's a very efficient way of breaking down stock real quickly, but you may not end up with something that's terribly usable. Um, whereas if you saw it through and through, obviously you can, you end up with a full diameter and maybe there's some sapwood and stuff like that. So that is a lot of work, man, um, to, to do on your own, even in short sections. So you're going to need a really nice crosscut saw, like you t- to buck them into basic lengths. Um, it's not something that I would really want to attempt, honestly. <laughs> um, I would split it more than anything. Uh, man, that's a lot of sawing. <laughs> with a really big saw, a very dedicated saw that you're probably not going to have a lot of luck finding a new manufacturer for. You may have to buy a, you know, a vintage one. Then you've got to buy a bunch of saw files and learn to sharpen that specific type of sawtooth. Um, a lot of times they're two man saws as well. So there's there's a lot of things that come into this that you heard it here, folks. You might just buy a bandsaw. Whoa. Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, Matt, what about your portion? We'll take it to Matt's house. There we go. Take the mask yeah, There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so what about your portion of the question, Matt? Um, I'll say I agree with Shannon for that for that moment keep, in my life. Keep saying that. That'll be good. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of work to do that by hand, like with an actual handsaw. And splitting is definitely going to be a, a like a faster way to go. But man, if that log is not straight grained, you're going to end up with some really twisty boards. You're getting into a specific use case too. You know, riven wood is great for things like chair building and such, but it's entirely too inefficient for casework. Oh yeah, the amount of waste you're going to have trying to get those boards into flat as it came out of that log, all goofy because (laughs) the grain was goofy. Yeah, and yeah, you're not going to be splitting a crotch. I'll tell you that much. Hey, good luck with that. Um, What about the part of this question? Yeah, I was asking about storage and (laughs) stuff. Pay attention, Matt. Hey, answer the question you were supposed to answer. Sir, I thought it was like a friendly discussion. Never on this show is it a friendly that was, discussion. That was the job I was sold. I was said this is going to be a friendly discussion. It's no big deal. We're going to allow you to talk a little bit. Total casual. <laughs> we <laughs> occasionally lied. say something important. You know, whatever. Just keep it to a minimum. Yeah, and uh, keep the professionalism low. I'm, that was that was what you guys told me this was keep about. Keep the professionalism low. <laughs> yes, as low as possible. <laughs> Set the expectations low, please. Oh man, <laughs> so. For drawing that stuff, if you're going to split that stuff out and you're going to rive it out like that, it, it's not going to be flat, most likely, unless that log is perfectly straight. So you're going to have an interesting time trying to get it to stack unless you somehow get some stickers in between all like the wedges and the pieces and you kind of band it together as a log again with holes in it, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to be the easiest way to go because they're not going to really stack that well. But if you are able to get them straight, stacking them is going to be pretty much the normal way to go. The one thing I think about, though, is if it's if you're talking small diameter logs, at least actual small diameter trees, or you're talking about branches, mm-hmm. branches are going to have a lot more movement in them. They have a lot more reaction wood. So getting them to be dry and flat is going to be one thing. And then getting them to stay flat after you use them is another separate thing. But we can just talk about like getting it to stay flat. Those smaller diameter logs, at least in my experience, they tend to have a lot more uh, cupping, a lot more movement in that form when they're drying. And branches could do anything. So a lot of weight. On top of that stack is going to be helping out a lot to keep those boards flat as they dry, like more weight than I would probably normally use. I so would band it, honestly, steel banded or some sort of banding to apply compression. Mm-hmm. That would work too. The yeah. thing with banding is it, you have to tie them up. As yeah. Trees. So, yeah, you know, I use ratchet straps, but you can use banding um, or whatever weight you can get on top of that thing. Like if you got a couple thousand pounds of something, put that on top. 
Yeah. Just just think about the smaller diameter stuff. It's a, a more radical curvature to the growth rings. Mm-hmm. So as it dries, that curvature is going to do weird stuff. So not fun. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, go for it. Whatever. It's free stuff. Worth a shot. Why not? <laughs> All right. If you want to send us a voicemail, you can do so using your voice memo app on your smart device and send that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com and we'll play it on the show. Now we can get to our emails. First one here is from Matt from New Jersey. He says, uh, first, by the way, no one talks like that in New Jersey, but that's, that's what people say all the time. Uh, first, I want to thank all of you for the content you produce. Market videos are what first started me down the rabbit hole of woodworking instead of just DIY home projects. Matt, you have recently got me excited about milling lumber, and I'm now the proud new owner of a Panther Mill 2 and a couple of walnut oh, nice. logs waiting to become boards. And Shannon, I suppose I'll have to learn how to use a non-electric tool one of these days, but more of that later. <laughs> for now, I definitely appreciate your addition to the podcast. Uh, my question is regarding joinery. On March tr- such an honorable mention. <laughs> yes, it is. You, you, you still get a trophy, Shannon, so... You can go home happy and you'll, you'll get an ice cream as well. Uh, So regarding joinery on Mark's trestle table from 2010, I'm doing a similar design with the top uh, scaled down to 48 by 30 out of hard maple. Don't have a domino and trying to figure out the best way to join the leg components. I'm thinking angled integral tenons cut using a homemade tenoning jig on the table saw for the face cheeks and a dovetail saw. Okay. I'm going to abbreviate this. Uh, basically the, if you ever saw this project, it's very large legs. We're talking about very, you know, I think I went to pretty close to four by four for these blanks and then I just kind of uh, curved them and sculpted them and just made them look a little bit more organic and earthy. So you've got a vertical uh, member that needs to connect to a foot. And the thing is, because these pieces are so thick, what I wound up using was the domino for this, made it super easy. Um, They're very thick and they're coming in at an angle. And his question is basically, since he doesn't have the domino, should he be trying these integral tenons with angles or is this a good case for loose tenon joinery? And uh, that's kind of what I wanted to make this a little bit more broadly about. Um, One of the best situations, the best case scenario for uh, a tricky angle joint like this is if you can do a loose mortise and tenon joint. So anytime I have tricky angles, that's one of the first things I ask myself is how can I do this with loose mortise and tenon joints? And the reason is because your joint is typically going to be... Um, perpendicular. So your mortises that you would cut are perpendicular to the joint itself. So if you think about that, if you've got a nice thick uh, leg there, you can actually balance your router pretty well on that. If the piece is very small and thin, it gets a little bit trickier and you have to add extra things to make it work. But in the case of this particular project, you've got a lot of reference surface just built in to the legs. So I think this is a perfect candidate for a loose mortise and tenon joint. Um, if you go into angled integral tenons, it's, you know, it's fine. You can do it, but I think it actually increases the complexity of what you're going to have to do. This way, you just cut it to the angle you need it. Just get a nice straight cut at the end of those pieces. And as long as they butt up together, nice then you could just cut your your joints perpendicular to that end grain face and you should be good to go. So um, that's one of the things I would always recommend people do is see if the loose mortise and tenon concept simplifies what you're trying to do. In a lot of cases, it will. Sometimes it might make it a little more difficult, so you're better off doing something else. But certainly in the case of that table, uh, I would go loose on that one. I think the minute you start angling your tenons too, you run into grain issues, cross grain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're better off if you're doing an integral tenon to angle the shoulder and not the tenon. Keep the tenon in line with the long axis of that board. Mm-hmm. So essentially, 
it's like a loose tenon already joined into place. Right. Well, and the other thing about that, though, you do that. Now you have to cut an angled, you have to route or cut an angled mortise into the adjoining piece, which, again, depending on how you do this stuff, might make it more difficult. Right. Unless you, you go with what you're talking about. You're yes. Now you're angling your reference surface. So you could do a combination of both. If you, for some reason, don't like the loose tenon idea, make an integral tenon with an angled shoulder and then make the angled face to the mortise and chop the mortise square to the face. Yeah. That yeah. sounds fun. I'd rather just the same route, thing. route just them both and be tenon. done with it. <laughs> I don't know. Some people are weird when it comes to loose tenons. It's like they treat them like the pocket holes or something. It's like, there's nothing wrong with loose tenons. So is there something there's wrong something with wrong pocket, pocket holes? holes? What, what are you trying yes. to say? yes okay you heard it here first guys uh send all email to god you can't say anything about being in contention anymore no you what can't maybe this world why don't we just start calling like pocket mortises here we go what do you think what do you guys think so sounds a little better you're gonna call a screw a uh what a, a pocket helical tenon yeah, it's a helical tenon. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> a metal helical tenon? <laughs> it's a loose metal uh, helical tenon. Ser- you know, serrated. It really is. Tenon. I think you're right. Pocket holes and pocket screws just have a branding problem. That's, that's, that's what we could fix here. Oh, <laughs> man. We could really fix up their image for them. We could. Let's call Craig. Jeez. Did you hear that? Sorry. The heck was that? That's my security voice. system telling me that the front door is open. Oh. It's like, is that Ava's baby monitor? Because she's... <laughs> Ava is crying. <laughs> uh, Ava okay, well, needs food badly. badly. All right. Who's next? <laughs> Matt, you're next. Oh, okay. This there's an so- awkward pause in the show. It must be Matt's it's turn. It's probably Matt's turn, yes. And then there's more talking about it. It still must be Matt's turn. Okay. And there's an awkward pause again, and then it we'll kind of repeats we'll a while. And you right. go. Anyway, <laughs> so this is a Samo question for Matt, obviously. Come on, you guys can't answer any of these questions. Last week, I was assisting in milling up some white oak, cutting mostly dimensional lumber. On some logs, after cutting the cant at the beginning of the cut, the 2x6 boards seemed to peel up behind the blade, basically bowing as soon as it was cut. I was wondering if this could be due to moisture, pressure built up in the log, based on growth or something else. Love the show. Keep up the good work. This is from Zach. So it could be the log, could be how it was growing, could be stresses in there, um, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, trees do weird stuff as they're cut up in the boards because this we're releasing a lot of stress. Uh, one thing that a lot of sawyers will do as they're cutting from a cant is they'll flip the cant over 180 degrees as they're cutting boards off of it to help to equalize some of that stress in the cant. That way, as you get down to that last board, it's not blowing up off the bed and you end up with like this weird, like tapered board at the bottom. But you know, that's peeling up like that, pretty normal. I wouldn't worry too much about it as long as your sawyer knows what he's doing, I guess. Hmm. The end. Okay. Quick one. <laughs> the end. Shannon. <laughs> uh, this question comes from Brian. <clears throat> he says, I've heard Shannon brag about his fancy raised panel hand plane a few mm-hmm. times now. What the hell does a raised panel plane do? Obviously, it raises panels, but why do I need my panels raised? What does that even mean? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, the, the, the real reason is if you use – well – you, you can't make the groove in a frame and panel assembly. You can't make that groove super, super wide. You know, if you've got a three-quarter inch rail in style and you're trying to use, uh, say, a half-inch thick panel, you're now routing out, chopping out, whatever, a half-inch material 
out of the groove out of that three quarter inch rail and style and you end up with really weak sidewalls there so usually that groove in framing panel is about a quarter of an inch maybe a little bit more than that maybe a little bit less well you could use a quarter inch panel but quarter inch material tends to flex and bend and cup and stuff all the time it also may lose a little bit of strength it can sometimes even just be a little chintzy looking because it's so thin um the, the door itself ends up being so thin that it loses insulation properties, all kinds of fun stuff. So we try to use thicker material. Well, then we have to cut a rabbit around the inside so that the resulting tongue can fit into that quarter-inch groove. So you could end up with a flat panel, like the video watchers may see behind me, but there is a rabbit on the inside of the door. You're showing a flat panel on the front, but there's a rabbit on the inside. Or if you flip it around, there's a rabbit on the outside, and it's like, well, that doesn't look very pretty. So they added in the fancy raised panel with the bevel and the raised field and all that stuff. And that's what allows you to take a thicker panel and thin it down at the edges to fit inside a groove. That's the the, the real primary reason for it. And it was just kind of a decorative add-on, if you will. And that's what the panel raising plane does, is it quickly cuts the rabbits into the side while making a pretty transition in between the thicker part of the stock and the thinner part of the stock. So pretty. The end. And if Can't you, know, you do that with like a router? <clears throat> well, sure. <laughs> of course, Matt. <laughs> it's not, I'm just, it's not I'm, about the tool, Matt. It's about I'm, the... I'm trying to draw parallels for the people that don't know hand plane stuff. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. But his question is, why would you raise a panel in the first place? It doesn't matter how you do it. Well, that is why. You're making the assumption that people will hear about this for the first time think the only way they can do it is with a panel raising hand plane. Well, that's really the only way to do that's it. It's the only way he recognizes. <laughs> the only self-respecting way to yeah, do it. If you want to be a good person. Well, and here's the other thing for Brian. No, if panel you're, raising bed and a handheld trim router. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> he says, it's, what does it even mean? Um, it sounds like he's not familiar with general door you know, construction or, um, yeah, door panel construction. So if you look at kitchen cabinets, uh, it's usually where you're going to see raised panels in use a lot. If you see that panel has some sort of decorative element where it looks, you know, there's multiple dimensions. It's just not flat. That's usually a raised panel in there. And that's uh-huh. what, what Shannon's talking about. It's kind of a, you know, satisfying a functional thing. You get to use a thicker panel and have it fit into a thinner groove, but you also get a very uh, strong visual impact from raising a panel. And sometimes that's good and bad, depending on the style you're going for. So, yep. All right. We also have a email extra that we do for our $4 and higher patrons. And today we're going to talk about tool upgrades and uh, you can find out all that information about the Patreon stuff over at patreon.com slash wood talk. And uh, let's see what else you could do. You could buy a Wood Talk t-shirt at the TWW store. That's TWWstore.com. And you could give us a review in iTunes. That's always appreciated. Just look us up, click on ratings and reviews, and drop in a sweet screen name, because those are always fun to read, and uh, give us a little review there. We appreciate it. Shannon, how about you give them the contact info? We'll get out of here. If you want to send us a voice memo with a veiled or just blatant insult in it, you can do so <laughs> by recording your voice memos on your phone, your yeah. various apps, your QuickTime apps, all over, and send that voice memo to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can type it out at our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact, or just go to the website to this show, woodtalkshow.com, leave a comment below. You can catch us on the Twitters at Wood Talk Show as well as on the Facebook. Don't forget, you people 
You people. You. I mean that in the most offensive way possible. <laughs> I said you people before I realized what I was saying. So you people at Patreon make this possible. Patreon.com slash wood talk. Don't forget, we each have our own sites. We occasionally go there. TheWoodWhisperer.com, RenaissanceWoodworker.com, and Macromona.com, along with 7,000 other domains. <laughs> yep. That's right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Douglas fir is not a pine. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.